0: I'd like to welcome Chad Millman head of media for the action network to the sports marketing huddle. Chad, super excited to have you on the show. Can you give a brief overview on what the action network is?
1: You bet brother. Thanks for having me. So the action network is a new media company that is focused entirely on content from the sports betting and daily fantasy sports angles. Um, what can we create that drives people into this massive parallel conversation that happens in sports around who's going to win and by how much and how are they going to do it? Um, And we do this from a variety of perspectives. We do it from a research and data perspective. We do it from an analytical perspective. Uh, We do it with humor. We do it with, Um, information and we do it with reporting uh, and hopefully when you're done reading it, you feel better about any investments you might make in sports.
0: Awesome. So what I wanted to talk about was the marketing around the launch of the action network, building it on a subscription model opposed to a traditional publisher model, the impact of Bob Scucci being part of the podcast, plus how sports betting when legalized will, or how that will affect how brands market to sports fans. Cool. Let's do it, man. Cool. So I've been a longtime listener of your podcast and even got the intro for this Sports Marketing Huddle podcast from your original Behind the Bets podcast. So what I did is I listened to it over and over again, and I really got into podcasting uh, during your Behind the Bets days. And I was like, all right, I got to create an intro for this. And I literally wrote down your intro from Behind the Bets and then changed it to... Uh, All things marketing in the world of sports. So, I wanted to start off by thanking you for that.
1: Well, I'm glad to help in any way that I can. And I appreciate you listening. Uh, And I'm sorry that you had to spend time listening to it so often that you were writing it verbatim, but I'm glad you did.
0: Well, no, it, it was a great template for success because in podcasting, I like to do the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm like, all right, well, what's something that I like that I know resonates? So, boom. Uh, let's start with the Action Network launch, which was the Action Network daily newsletter, which you can subscribe to at actionnetwork.com. Why was email the communications medium that you started with?
1: You know, I, I'm i a huge fan of newsletters. I get a ton of them. And I feel like the audience we are trying to reach is incredibly digitally savvy and that they really live um, in three places. Uh, almost, and they live in three places within. Let's let me rephrase that. I think the phone is their house, and they live in three rooms in their house. They live in their email, they live on their social feeds, and they live in their uh, earbuds. And so, um, I really wanted when we started uh, to kickstart this thing with a newsletter, with a podcast foundation and to get going on social as quickly as we could. Um, we launched in. we announced the company in October of 2017. Uh, and within a couple of weeks after that, I think it was October 19th or 20th, we started publishing a newsletter Monday to Friday. And, uh, the idea then was just to reach a really large audience. We have about 230,000 subscribers. Um, a lot of that was built on the foundation of three companies that we bought. The Action Network is made up of uh, a company called Fantasy Labs, which does daily fantasy lineup optimization, a company called Sports Insight, which has been around for 18 years and does uh, has a deep reservoir of tools and data and research for sports betting, and a company called that had been called Sports Action, which is now our app, uh, the Action app, and um, the. Com- Those three companies, along with a pretty aggressive approach we had to build our subscriber base, led us to launch with about 230,000 email subscribers. And so to me, that was the best way to get in front of people. At at the time in October, um, we didn't have a aggregated action network platform, but we wanted to make people aware of who we were. And the best way to do that was to send something directly to them. And make them aware of the kind of content we were doing and the kind of fun we were having and what our sensibility was and how we were going to be using numbers and research and reporting to uh, inform our storytelling from a betting perspective. Um, So that's why we did it. Uh, It just was the most effective way to deliver content to people. So let's
0: get to the growth part of that. So the next thing about the newsletter that stood out to me was the bottom. There was a referral link that said, join the syndicate, become a member of our community for access to our soon to launch private Facebook group and Slack channel, conversations with our experts and perks such as swag, as well as shout outs in this newsletter. Just get five friends to subscribe through your personal link below and you're in. And naturally me being a fan of the Action Network and your podcast, I was like, I've got to be able to do that. I got to be a part of this. So naturally I was inclined to say, all right, friends of mine, uh, if you like sports and or betting or fantasy sports at all, you guys need to be joining this because one, I believed in the product because as somebody who was already a consumer of it, uh, it made me a smarter, more knowledgeable sports fan. So can you tell a little bit more about how that helped accelerate the growth?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, There was a lot of enthusiasm when we launched, and uh, when I left ESPN, sort of I had an audience that was dedicated to betting and interested in that material, and they were very kind and came with me, and so we did the syndicate, and it was like we were, you know, giving it to people, you know, um, giving people shout-outs in the newsletter. What's been interesting for us, and this has been a real challenge, is we launched – our subscription product a month ago. We launched it in the middle of January. And as we had conversations about the syndicate, which we love, we are trying to figure out what is the benefit we give to syndicate members who we haven't asked to pay for anything and helped us grow the newsletter versus what we are giving to people who we are now asking to subscribe. It's presented a little bit of a challenge for us to work through because we – you want to be thoughtful about both um, and you want to you don't want to shortchange the people who, uh, who who sort of gave you their enthusiasm and their passion. And were good brand advocates, but you also don't want to shortchange the people who are paying, you know, upwards of $9.99 a month, depending on the package they want. So it's been interesting for us since we launched the pay product um, to navigate that.
0: So it's really like, do you want to manage two communities, even though the most efficient way is probably to do one? On the other side, though, um, by having members who are unpaid in the syndicate, it is an opportunity for you to continue to build the relationship, knowing that from a long-term perspective, you guys are going to say, you know, we're going to be able to convert a lot more members by having them part of, let's consider it your funnel. And it's really the dichotomy between both of those, even though there seems like there's no perfect answer for how you communicate to both knowing that I'm a member of the syndicate and I'm a paying member but not everybody's going to be in that same boat
1: yeah I think at the end of the day um, the better solution is to focus on the paying members Um, because from a business perspective it's just there is longer term benefits for both the subscribers and for the action network uh i think you are just generally going to be more invested in something if you're paying for it um and so honestly like we are smack dab in the middle of trying to figure that out we just had a conversation about it uh no less than friday two or three days ago
0: All right. So it's like, what's more important getting new subscribers or keeping the ones that you currently have? So I bought the yearly subscription, but what are the people who say, I'm just going to be doing this bad boy month to month that you would much rather only have to make the sale once instead of continually doing that, even though both of those are going to be part of a growth strategy. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned that this was uh, a paid subscription and initially uh, you guys were offering free content there. So take me into the thought process Behind why you guys went with a subscription model as opposed to the traditional advertising-supported publisher model.
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, um, and I knew this from ESPN, like it's getting harder and harder to support things from an advertising model. Um, people don't want to do display adv- advertising; they only want to do pre-roll video advertising. It's why you see so many people going back to you know why you saw so many places from MTV news to Fox sports saying we're pivoting the video, you know, for, for a good three or four months in the middle of last year, that was a common catchphrase. We're pivoting the video. Uh, and that's because no one was supporting. There wasn't enough advertising support for free subject and verb content. Um, I, had been at ESPN for 16 years. I uh, had been an editor at the magazine and writing uh, a gambling column for ESPN's Insider product. Um, I became editor in chief of the magazine, uh, which was fully integrated into ESPN's Insider product. And then I was editorial director for ESPN digital in which I was running Insider. Um, and I know the value of a subscription product. and. I think that uh, the churning group, which owns the Action Network, uh, the investments they've made in digital businesses have largely been in subscription products because they get it too. Like niche audiences can be not so niche. They can actually be really large and they can also be incredibly passionate. And um, so that's why I think there's just better long-term value in having a subscription product and providing that value to consumers who are really passionate about that kind of content.
0: So I see two sides of this coin. One, you've got the consumers. There's so much free content out there that how many of them are reluctant to pay, even though I was somebody who's been an ESPN insider for the longest time. And it never really dawned on me that I was paying for a subscription because I was just such a sports fan. I was like, of course I want this. And you didn't see a lot of subscription model type uh publishers back in the day and on the flip side for current publishers now that if they are going to essentially change their business model and say we're going to flip this bad boy to Uh, a subscription only model do you think that that's something that's viable only for new publishers or current publishers now they're going to see a lot of loss in ad revenue even though that number continues to dwindle anyways going back to your long-term value that is the longer-term value to say you know what you need to build it on a subscription model now because that's what's more long-term viable than the cpm based banner ad model.
1: I do think it's really, really hard once you've started with the CPM model to go back um, really hard. And so I don't know, like the New York Times has been incredibly successful, but they've had tremendous growing pains um, and it took them years. And you've really got to be willing to commit to that idea and know that you're going to struggle and there's going to be losses and there might be Um, material impact on your business and on the resources you have and how you're investing in resources. Um, You know, it's not dissimilar from what ESPN is going through now, where they are losing subscribers in the pay cable model and need to figure out as quickly as possible how to um, live in a world that is, you know, essentially um, OTT as the future unfolds. And they're being very aggressive and really smart about it. But Um, It's hard to rebuild your business on the fly. And so uh, I'd much rather if I'm going to be in a subscriber business, um, as hard as it is to start from scratch, uh, if you believe in the product, which I do, and you believe in the content and sort of the future, um, I'd rather be sort of trying to build something from scratch and something I'm passionate about than trying to pivot on the fly. So let's talk about the podcast,
0: The Buffet, which you can check out on iTunes or anywhere that you do listen to podcasts. Your co-host is Bob Scucci, bookmaker at the Orleans in all the Boyd Gaming books. Scooch has a warm personality. He's always laughing and he delivers incredible insights straight from Vegas. He's gotten so popular that fans now visit him when they go to Vegas and ask him to autograph your book that you co-wrote with him called The Odds. Can you talk about the impact that he has had on you and your sports betting brand from when he first came on Behind the Bets to the show playfully playfully being called The Scooch Pod, to now being part of the buffet?
1: Uh, It's enormous. Um, I first met Scooch in 1999. I started reporting a book called The Odds, which was about these guys who bet on sports for a living in Las Vegas. And the book came about from a story I had done for ESPN, the magazine. I was an editor at the magazine. It was 99. It was spring of nineteen ninety nine and I wrote about the guys who sent the point spreads for the NCAA tournament. And at the time, uh the Stardust sports book at the Stardust Hotel was sort of the preeminent sports book. And they put up the first lines and they were the most respected and uh Joe Lupa was the guy who ran the sports book and so I spoke to him for this story and I wrote about how this it's it's not dissimilar from sort of what we talked about, right? There's this massive parallel conversation, and Joe Lupo and his team were the first people to set the point spreads for the tournament that set off this domino effect for a billion-dollar industry. And Scucci was his sort of number two. And um, I loved Joe and had a really interesting conversation with him and the story I really enjoyed. And I just thought it would be an interesting book. I had written a book about guys who, um, about playground basketball all over the country uh, that had come out in 98 and i was looking for another project and so i called joe and said hey i'd love to come out to vegas and write about you and your sports book and the betters who try to beat you on a regular basis for the college basketball season and he said great and he hooked me up with some some betters who became real characters including a guy named allen boston um who was sort of the premier uh college basketball better at the time and he's great um super smart great character but uh I really became close with Joe Lupo and Bob Scucci and Jim Corona, who was another bookmaker at the time. Um, I was out there, you know, for six months, uh, basically like every weekend, two weeks of every month. Um, I didn't live out there, but I might as well have. And I just became really close with scooch and, and I knew how smart he was and eventually Lupo left, uh, the stardust and, um, he's now running, you know, a much bigger casino. Uh, uh, it runs the hard rock in Tampa actually. Um, and Scooch became the book the book manager for not just the stardust but all the boyd gaming books in nevada so boyd gaming on the stardust and they've got you know almost a dozen hotels properties so um i always knew scooch was super smart had a great personality great laugh could translate what's happening in vegas in a very specific intelligent way that a layman could understand and i loved his name i love saying scooch and for years i tried to convince him to be a regular on the podcast. And finally, he just acquiesced one year and the impact was immediate, like people love the name, they love his voice, they love the way he explains things. And he gets stories all the time of sort of being recognized. He once told me a great story. Um, he was on the, he had a, uh, you know, an issue with his health insurance. He had to call the health insurance plan, corporate office or 800 number or whatever it is. And he was on the phone. The guy was based in Michigan, the customer service. And at the end of the call, uh, the guy said to him, by the way, I love the podcast. Um, Like, he just gets that all the time. And I love it. Like, it couldn't happen to a better guy. He's the best.
0: So from Scooch's brand, obviously he's a bookmaker, but this has significantly increased his visibility and awareness that is he seeing value from this? I know, obviously, running running bookmaking that – uh, he's doing some much larger things, but what impact
1: is this having on him? Oh, God. Uh, you know, I, I I mean, from a lifestyle perspective, I don't think it's anything. He, you know, he... But it certainly, I think, is exciting for him. It certainly raised the profile of the Orleans. You know, there are people who are there all the time um, asking for uh, autographs, asking for... Um, asking for him to come out, asking him to sign books. They come in and they want the buffet because, you know, we talk about that's why we called the buffet. Because once said about a guy who did something well and want him a bet. Like, I want to go, I want to buy that guy a buffet. So some of the catchphrases have just become really popular and it's just been fantastic for him.
0: Do you think more industry thought leaders, regardless of what industry could benefit from hosting or being part of a podcast?
1: Yeah, uh, look, I think so. But I think it entirely depends on like who the personality is. There are a lot of guys who are involved in podcasts who might just be boring. Um, Scooch isn't boring and he laughs. And so you're going to have that warmth that you talked about um, come through. And it's impossible to, it's really impossible to miss it. So it's like anything else. Um, You know, if, if your personality isn't there, then it's going to be hard to translate. Um, He just happens to have an incredible personality. Lastly,
0: via the podcast and being a sports better myself, I have followed the legalization of sports betting very closely. And it seems like it's only a matter of time of when it's going to happen. When sports betting is legalized, how do you think that will affect how brands market to sports fans? Um, God, that's a really
1: interesting question. How do I explain that? Uh... I think they're going to need to make it feel more accessible and approachable. You know, I thought the DraftKings and FanDuel stuff from a couple of years ago—you know—I'm sure you've done podcasts on that—was yep. really fascinating because of the way they were so aggressive in the market, um, and it turned people off, and obviously led to just some massive challenges for the daily fantasy industry, and led to a lot of scrutiny. And I think actually, in at the end of the day had a pretty detrimental effect on that business um, and the way people view it. So I think there was a lesson to be learned there in how you market sports betting as an activity, as a leisure activity to new consumers versus trying to convince them that they can come in and become millionaires. Um, I don't think that's going to work. I think you need to make it feel safe and feel comfortable and not like something that has been stigmatized For the past 70 something years as being a mafia business um, or being something where, you know, you're going to get shaken down if you can't pay your debts or in the last 20 years, something that um, is potentially challenging from a digital perspective.
0: From the same way that SportsCenter went from just doing the highlights to casually mentioning the sports the the spreads of the games, do you believe that we will see non-betting or non-casino brands using sports betting as part of their content or engagement mix or even their language, knowing that one of the, the best things about marketing now is the authenticity and the ability to build a connection with your audience there? And and if, if a brand is looking to target a sports fans and knowing that similarly to fantasy sports do you think you will see brands start to dabble a little more and at least
1: having sports betting in their communication uh i do i'm counting on it rob because i just left espn to go <laughs> run a company that uh is entirely focused on sports betting content and in a way to do it with authenticity and information and not make it sound like we are just out there hawking picks. Um, and I'm hopeful that a lot of companies will want to partake in that kind of expertise.
0: So Chad, this is awesome. Where can everybody connect with the action network?
1: Go to actionnetwork.com. You can sign up and subscribe from there. You can follow us on Twitter at action Network HQ. Um, those are the two main places, or you can download our app, the action app. You can just go to the, uh, itunes store and download it from there
0: and i highly recommend all of that as somebody who is a consumer of the action network on all platforms it is absolutely fantastic and boom goes the dynamite as always thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode of the sports marketing huddle the number one thing you can do to support us is tell your friends about it we believe in organic growth and if you get value out of the free podcast we deliver then we'd appreciate if you share on social media If you're looking for some creative sports marketing resources, you can sign up for my newsletter at robcressy.com. I drop bite-sized nuggets of wisdom to get your juices flowing. And lastly, I have a blast chopping it up with sports marketing huddle listeners on social media. If you hit me up on Twitter at Rob I will respond back. Boom shakalaka.